Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, I do just thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity, Lord, for the privilege to be able to stand here. Lord, I pray that you would take this time, Lord, that you would speak through me today, that I might become very, very small, uh, and Lord, that you might be large in this room. Lord, I'm just a tool in your hand. Dip me in the Holy Spirit and paint a masterpiece this morning, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Well, gang, like I said, we're coming right to the end here in Deuteronomy. Moses has got the people gathered here on the border of the Jordan River, and he's telling them, you're going to go in. It's time. You're going in to the promised land. And there's, there's warnings, and there's encouragement, and there's going to be reminders that he's going to give them. We're going to look at today. But in verse 31, uh, chapter 31, verse 1, it says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years years old today. Woo! Happy birthday. How many candles? That's a, do you think it was 120 candles or just like a big one, two, zero? When I think about, you know, the, you know, the kind of, you know, the, the character that God can be sometimes, I think if God put those kind of candles, they would be like the candles like, uh, that are like the burning bush. Like they, they burn, but they never consume the candles. Thank you, Jeff. I, you know, Pastor Jeff and I, we got that joke, but. <clears throat> you know, though, what I was thinking about this is that he's 120 years old. Now, I say this all the time. I'm not a numbers guy, but there are some significant numbers in the Bible. 40 is one of those numbers. 40 in the Bible typically represents like testing or trial or refining. 40 days on the ark. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was being tempted and refined. When you look at the life of Moses, this is what I see, three sections of 40. He's 120 years old. We're going to see, not going to make it beyond 120. Three sections of 40. The first 40 years, you know, he went from being um, born and raised as a prince of Egypt, right? You know, you've seen the movie. The prince of Egypt, uh, from, from uh, zero, you know, birth, basically, to 40, he's a, a prince in, in the kingdom of, of Egypt. Until he re, kind of reconnects with his roots. And remember, he, he kills an Egyptian man who is beating up on, a, on a, a Hebrew slave. And he flees then into the wilderness, where for another 40 years, he is a goat herder in the land of Midian. For 40 years, another time of, of refinement, 40 years. So 40 years, he's in uh, a time of testing in Egypt where he discovers that being a prince of Egypt isn't who he is. It isn't who God made him to be. And then 40 years, he's out in the wilderness in a time of refinement where God is creating the leader that he will need him to be later on. And then that last, when he's 80 years old, you know, God speaks to him through the burning bush. 
And he says, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh that he's got to let my people go. And so into Egypt he goes. And at 80 years old, he goes to Pharaoh and he says, you need to, you need to let these people go. God said so. And you know, you know the story. Pharaoh says no. And then there's plagues and all these bad things that come upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And finally, the death of the firstborn is the catalyst that sends Pharaoh to say, go get out of here. And then they go. And then that last 40 years is while he is with these people in this land wandering around because they were too afraid to go into the promised land as God had told them to do. And so I see three sections of Moses's life of 40 years of refinement, three sections of refinement. I'm not sure how that applies, but it just seems really neat, doesn't it? There, uh, really, you know what? God works in ways in our lives where he will refine you and refine you. And you know, and I'm sure there were times in Moses' life where it was like, this is too hard. My life is too hard. Life is hard. And God would say, I'm not being hard on you. I'm refining you. You know how they refine gold? They put a fire underneath it and they heat it up. And as the gold gets hot, the, all the, the junk that's in the stone um, floats up to the top and then they, they scoop it off and they, they flick it away. You know what? I actually would be happy to just, like, just give me the spoon that you used. What, that would be enough, right? Just give me the gold-coated spoon that you used to scrape the dross off, right? But that's what they do, and they do it over and over and over again. They heat up the gold until the, the, the impurities float up to the top, and they scrape it off, and they heat it up again. And the gold would probably say, too much, it's too much. I'm heated up over and over and over again. And God would say, yeah, but I'm not doing it to be mean or to punish. I'm refining you. Do you know how they know that the gold is perfectly refined and ready to be pure gold? Because the one who heats it up can look in and see the perfect reflection of his face in the surface of the gold. And isn't that what God is doing to us? He's refining us and refining us and refining us until we are the image of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not going to happen here. But this whole life is the process of being refined. But Moses comes to these people and he says, I'm 120 years old today. And he says, I can no longer go out and come in. I want you to know, first of all, that when he says, I can no longer go out and come in, he's not saying, I'm, too, I'm 120 years old. I'm too old. I can't see. I can't hear. If you're talking to me, I, I don't hear you. No. That is not what he's saying. In fact, we know that because in the last chapter, Deuteronomy, it says that even at 120 years old, his eyesight was still good. His hearing was still good. His physical body was still good. Physically, he could still lead them. But what he was saying is, I, can't, no, I can no longer go in or come out, was saying, I am no longer the one who will lead. The reason I know he's talking about leading is because in 1 Kings, Solomon prayed the same thing. He said the same thing to God because he now was king. Remember in first Kings, Solomon takes over from his father, David as king. And, and God says, Solomon, now that you're king, ask of me anything and I will give it to you. And Solomon says, I don't know how to be king. I don't know how to, he uses the same words, go out or come in. I don't know how to lead. God, give me what? Uh, Wisdom, right? That's what we all say. We all say he asked for wisdom. But if you actually read in 1 Kings, what he says is, Lord, give me a heart 
that hears. Now, it's been interpreted wisdom. But what he says is, give me a heart that hears. Give me a heart that hears you, God, when you speak to me so that I know what to do. Give me a heart to hear my people's cries so I know how to get involved in their lives or go to you on their behalf. Give me a heart that hears. Now, we would call that wisdom, but that's what Solomon asked for, a heart that hears. What a great request of God, isn't it? God, give me a heart that hears you, that hears those around me. Well, when you have a heart that hears God and hears others, then you're less focused on yourself and you are more focused on those around you. And by the way, that's the definition of joy. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you, that order. That's where joy is. He says, I can no longer go in uh, or, or come in or go out. Uh, and the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross, cross over the Jordan. You remember that God, God right here has reminded Moses now 40 years later that he is not going to lead the people in. In fact, God says, you don't even get to go in yourself. If you remember like 40 years ago, when, G when Moses is leading the people through um, from, from Egypt through to Sinai to the Jordan River, and he's leading them through on two separate occasions that we know of, they were like, why, Moses, did you bring us out here? It's so hot and dry and there's no water and we're going to die of thirst and would have been better if we were still slaves in Egypt because at least we had onions <laughs> They must have really loved onions, I guess. This onions must have been the thing. The first time Moses goes to God and God says, you know what, Moses, take your rod and go and strike that rock. And from that rock is going to come water. And so he goes out and he strikes this rock and it splits open and water gushes out and provides water for the three million Jews that were wandering around. Not very long after that, they come to him again. And once again, they're like, we're dying of thirst. Why did you bring us out here? And Moses is like, ah. So he goes off to God and he says, they're at it again. And God says, all right, you and Aaron go down to this rock and speak to it and water will gush forth. And so Moses grabs his rod and he grabs his brother and he goes out and he says, you stiff necked people, do I need to give you water again? And he strikes the rock. He strikes it, not just once, actually, two times. And God, in his graciousness and compassion, actually has water spring forth from that rock. But then he says, Moses, come here. Um, I told you to speak to the rock. See, Moses, you misrepresented me and my plan to provide for the people by striking the rock. That's not what I told you to do. And by going out and striking that rock, you've misrepresented me. So you will no longer be able to lead these people in to the promised land. Whenever that happens. It was a misrepresentation of God's plan. After leading them out of Egypt to the Jordan, um, to see them only persuaded by their own fear not to go into the land that God has promised them, Moses faithfully 
leads them for 40 years through this wilderness. By the way, ministering to them the entire time as you read through uh, Leviticus and, and Numbers, re- faithfully ministering to these stiff-necked, stubborn, fearful complainers for 40 years. And God reminds him, but you don't get to go in with them. You will not lead them in. Now, it's in this moment right here that I think Moses could look at this and, and, and feel like a complete failure. Look, look, God gave me one thing to do. Bring these people out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land, and I, didn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. He could feel like a complete failure right in that moment. Or he could come to the realization that what he thought his mission was was different than what God had planned for him. Sometimes we can think we're on some kind of a path and we think, well, I prayed about this and here I am and so God must be leading me on this path and then it doesn't work out the way we thought it would and we can feel like a failure or we could embrace the sovereignty of God and say, I'm just going to go wherever it is you tell me to go and I'm going to go for as long as you tell me to go but when you say stop, I'm going to stop but if you say go, I'm going to keep going. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you prayed about a job and you got a job one time. You're like, yes, this is it. You know, when I first moved down here, um, we wanted to move to Florida, so I prayed about a job and uh, I got a job. And uh, I worked at a a place here in town um, for a while and it seemed okay. And I thought, okay, obviously this is God's will. He got me this job. I'm here. This is God's will. And then there was a guy on my board who was just really mean Really, really mean. And I thought, Lord, what? I mean, why, why did you bring me to this job? And now I have to deal with this really mean guy. And then I started to pray, Lord, you know what? If you could just remove that guy from my life, just remove that guy. Lord, please remove that guy. And, and you know what? The Lord answered that prayer. He did it. He had me quit that job. He did not, he did not remove that guy from the board. He removed me from that job. And at the time, I was like, what? This doesn't even make sense. I mean, look, my boss is a Christian. Uh, I'm doing good work. And, and God says, no, you're going to go over there now. And that, now, you know, the really fun part about being, you know, a Christian who has, you know, his eyes open to God's plan is you can look back on your, your life and say, oh, yeah, that's right. Look at that. Had he not done this, had he not done that, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here had not all those things worked out, but I couldn't foresee this. This didn't seem like the plan necessarily. But Moses could look at this and say, I've completely failed. Or he could say, I just keep being faithful no matter what. No matter what, I will just keep being faithful. <clears throat> Do you think Moses really still feels bad about this though? I mean, it's 40 years, honestly. This is 40 years after God said, you're not going in. Now, like on that day that God had said, look, Moses, you know what? You misrepresented me and my plan to the people. You're not going to get to go into the promised land. On that day, he'd been like, oh, that's not fair. God, I did everything you said. But now it's 40 40 years later. And God says, oh, by the way, 
You're not going to go in. You're not going to lead these people into the promised land. You think that was really a bad thing in Moses' mind? I wonder if Moses wasn't like, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Free! (laughs) I don't have to spend any more time with this stiff-necked, stubborn people who are going to, by the way, because he's going to say they're going to go in and they're going to turn bad and they're going to neglect me. And and I wonder if Moses wasn't like, thank you, Lord. Sweet release. He's 120. 120 years old. I'm wondering if he's not just like thankful. Like what may have seemed like a bad thing to him now is just a blessing, right? Doesn't that happen? Don't you experience that in your life? Sometimes you think that this is a bad thing and God's like, you think it is, but it's gonna be a blessing. So the Lord, your God himself crosses over. Remember, this is Moses talking to the people. The Lord, your God himself crosses over before you and he will destroy the nations before you and you shall dispose of them. You have to understand that these people that he's talking to, almost all of them have known Moses as their leader their entire life, their entire life. So now he's coming to them and he's saying, yeah, I'm not gonna go in with you. All of this, you know, all of these chapters, all 30 chapters leading up to this, he's saying, when you go in, when you go in, when you go in, you're going to do this, and this is what's going to happen, and make sure you do this, and oh, by the way, I'm not going with you. And you must know that there is a moment that they'd be like, whoa, 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 Moses, you're, you're not going in with us? And he reminds them, I'm not going, but God is going in before you. He is going before you and he is the one who is going to go in and he's the one who's going to clear the path for you. And then he says, um, Joshua himself crosses over before you just as the Lord has said. You have to understand this also. Joshua is not a stranger to these people either. Joshua has been alongside Moses this entire time. Now he's not as old, but he's not young He's been with them also this whole time. In fact, if you remember that he also is a great military leader, however that happened, I mean, he was a slave his whole life and then bam, all of a sudden he's a military leader. That is only through the power of God that that happened. But you remember when they were coming out and the Amalekites come against them uh, in battle and Joshua leads the Jewish army I mean, literally, guys, remember, they were slaves. They crossed over the, the Red Sea miraculously. They were slaves. They had no military training. I'm, not, you know, I'm sure that you, you pick up a sword and you point the pointy end that way. That's about as much training as they had. And they took on, under the leadership of Joshua, the Amalekite army. And do you remember how they won? Moses went up onto a high hill, and God said, when you raise up your hands, you will have victory. When his hands went down, they started to lose and so Moses had to stand there the whole time. And after a while, his arm's starting to get tired. Have you ever experienced that? I can barely make it through one worship song. <laughs> Thankfully, he had a brother and a friend come in and hold his arms up. And Joshua led them in victory. And so they knew who Joshua was. They knew that Joshua was a capable leader. And so Moses reminds them that Joshua is the one who is going to take you in. This is, but this is very, very interesting because this says that Moses brought them to the very border of the promised land, but he couldn't take them the rest of the way. The Lord said, Joshua will lead you in. Now, I've said this before, but you have to kind of remember sometimes. 
is that to the Christian, the promised land isn't a geographical location. It's not a place. The promised land is that beautiful, fruitful, abundant life that God promises to all of those who follow him. The law, Moses, can't lead you there. Only Joshua can do it. You see, Moses in the Bible represents the law. The law can show you that you are in bondage to sin. The law can show you that you are bad and, that you, that, and bring you to a place of repentance. But the law cannot save you. The law can't take you into that abundant life that God talks about. If you believe that, if you believe that being good or good works or being a good person gets you into that abundant life and ultimately into heaven, then you are misrepresenting God's plan. And he says, you can't come in. Do you get it? You don't, you can't follow Moses into the promised land. Joshua must lead you in. Did you know you know what Joshua's original name was? You can find it in number uh, in uh, Exodus when they were listing out the twelve spies that were going into land. Joshua's name in Hebrew was Hoshua. Hoshua. It means savior. Joshua's name means savior. Now, now Moses would actually change it a little later and call him Yehoshua. Yehoshua means God is savior. So Joshua's name was God is Savior, Yehoshua. So the law, Moses, wasn't able to lead them into the promised land. Only Yehoshua, God, Savior, was able to lead them into the promised land. Do you know that Joshua's name is the Hebrew form of the name Jesus? Do you, do you see what that's saying? Being good, trying to follow the law, it's not going to get you there. You need to follow Jesus. This is spelled out right in the Old Testament. I was just talking to somebody the other day about how much it's a shame that there are churches that are like, oh, you know what, the Old Testament is fine, but we don't really need it anymore. We really just need to study the New Testament. I was like, the New Testament is contained in the Old Testament. If you study the Old Testament, then you have a really full and clear comprehension and understanding of the New Testament, the story of Jesus. You cannot follow the law into the promised land. You must follow Jesus. Verse four says, and the Lord will do to them as he said, as he did to Shihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Verse six says, be strong, and of good courage, do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and be of good courage. It says be strong and be of good courage. Be strong means be, be becoming strong or grow strong. And be of good courage in Hebrew means be determined. Be determined. And so this says grow strong and be determined and know that God is the one who goes before you. He goes with you. He's the one who will overcome the obstacles or walk with you through them. 
And when you know that, you can hold on to him and walk through. Remember it says in verse 30, you can cling to him. Chapter 30 at the end says cling to him. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, be strong and of good courage for you must go with the people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall cause them to inherit it. You know what I love about this verse? You see, Moses now is an encourager of Joshua. He's gonna encourage him. He's like, Joshua, it's your turn. It's now, it's to you to take these people in. I wanna encourage you, be strong, be of good courage. He is an encourager. You know, I just don't see too many encouragers these days. Do you guys get that sense? We just don't see the same kind of encouragement going on. In fact, there was a study that they did on Facebook. You guys know what Facebook is? Has anybody ever heard of it? The study said that negative posts get twice as much action or twice as many comments on Facebook. People react twice as much to negative comments than they do to positive comments. As, we've, as a culture, we kind of have lost this idea of being an encourager. But Moses was encouraging Joshua. I'm saying to you, be an encourager. God bless you. Be an encourager. And if you don't know how to, if, you don't, if you're not good at that, you're like, well, it's not really my gift. Make it your gift. That's your gift. Now that's your gift. Be an encourager. Change your mind and be an encourager. And let's change the trend. Let's change the trend. Let's switch that survey so that it's like 10 times as much positive action on Facebook as there is negative. In verse 8, it says, And the Lord said, and the, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you and he will be with you and he will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of the Levi who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, in the year of release at the Feast of Tabernacles, remember this, the Feast of Tabernacles happened every year, but every seventh year they would celebrate it in their home place and they would invite all of the women and the children and the strangers and it was the year of release. So if anybody owed any kind of a debt, it was released at that moment. And he said, when you are all gathered together, all of your, your children, your, your, your wives, your friends, the strangers in your gate, when you're all together, um, I want you to read this. See what he says is, when all of Israel comes to appear, appear before the Lord, your God, in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all of Israel in their hearing. Gather together people, men and women and little ones and the stranger who is within your gates that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord, your God, carefully observe all the words of this book and that their children who have not who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which the which you crossed the Jordan to possess and what he says is at this time when everyone is together read aloud this book and he's talking about this book the one we've been studying Deuteronomy read it aloud to all of the people every 7 years number 1 so they can be reminded every 7 years of what God had told them to do the blessings and the curses and what will come based on their decisions to choose 
blessed choices or cursed choices and how if they're obedient that God will bless and bring uh, uh, um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought I saw a car go by and I was like hey. <laughs> squirrel <laughs> he says bring them all together so that you can be reminded every seven years but also there's another there's another reason he says I don't want a single generation growing up who has not heard this over and over again and by doing it every seven years he would hit every at least every generation if not more of every single person would hear these words the other thing that I think is so neat is like he says, you know what? Open up these words and read them. Teach this book to your children. Teach this book. You know what he doesn't say? Teach from this book. There's a big difference. Teach from this book. He says, teach this book. Here at this church, we, we take this book, and as you're seeing, we go through line by line. We are teaching this book rather than teaching from this book. And there's a distinct difference. Moses says, you teach this book to them. Now, what's interesting is we see, if we were to read on in the book of Joshua, we would see that Joshua in chapter 8 actually does exactly what Moses has instructed him to do. They go into the land, and after they've had some victories, after they had some defeats and some victories, they build an altar to God, and it says that he read these words to the entire assembly so that they would all hear it and know it. Then the next time we see and that we can read in the Bible that they actually took the book that Moses had written, the book of God's law, and read it aloud was in, during the reign of King Jehoshaphat, 500 years later. Then the next time we read that they actually read the word to the entire assembly was during the reign of King Josiah, 250 years later. And by the way, that time when they read it, it was like um, Josiah uh, was about 18 years old. He was king then for like 10 years. And uh, he said to his, one of his um, high priests, go into the treasury and gather up some money to help pay for one of these building projects. And when the high priest went in, he was gather up in money, he found in the corner a box that had a scroll in it that they had never seen before. And he opened it up and he says, oh my goodness, this is the, the word of God. It had been lost for all of this time. So he brought it out and he read it in the presence of King Josiah. And King Josiah was so touched, uh, so cut to the heart that he tore his clothes and he weeped. And he made drastic changes in his kingdom to get back in line with what the word of God had said. But what we see here, and look, maybe there were other times that aren't written or recorded that they read this word. But what we see is a neglect of the reading of God's word caused them to easily stray to worshiping other false gods. You see that? Have you discovered that this happens in your own life? Has a neglect of reading God's word ever led you to a place where you stray to worshiping other gods? I was thinking about this this morning and I give you like a uh, like a kind of a silly practical example. Um, when I was in high school, long time ago, I took French. French. I don't know any French people. I'd never been to France. 
I didn't plan on going to France. The girls were cuter in French class. That is why I took French. And I took French for a year. Every single day I was in French class. Every single day I had French class homework to do. We would speak French in class. We had French names. You want to know what my French name was in class? Aaron only had a little mark over it. So it sounded like this, Aaron. Because in French, you don't finish any words. There are no endings to words in French. And you know, I passed that class, which meant that I had a pretty good understanding of French and could speak it well enough to get through a high school class of French. Guess how much French I speak now? Baguette. <laughs> and croissant. And this. <laughs> Why? Because I neglected to even read it or study it from that point on. I neglected it completely, and it's practically gone. And that's what it is here. The neglecting of the reading of God's word caused them to stray to worship other gods. When I neglect to read God's word, it causes me to be easily persuaded to worship other gods. Now, we've talked about that. It's not like, I've, you know, it's not like I'll be walking past some pagan temple here in Naples and, and be like, hey, I think I'm going to go in there and bow down to that god. No. There are, is there one? <laughs> Frankly, they're all over the place, really, right? Because what's idol, what's idol worship now? Anything that takes the place of God in your heart. Anything that takes the place of God in your heart. So your job, your 401k, your retirement, your family, a relationship, your car. Did I say car already? I don't know. <laughs> also, and probably more prevalent, is yourself. We have replaced God in our hearts with ourselves. And we're worshiping ourselves more than God in our hearts. It's so clear to me. Selfies. Selfies. I know I go off on selfies a lot. I don't completely understand selfies. But what I see is like, worship me, worshiping me. What is the, you have to get like turn three quarters. If you neglect the word of God, you will be easily swayed away from the worship of the one true and living God as they were. You don't believe me. You can read it for yourself to see just how quickly they are pulled away from the worship of the one true and living God. Verse 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Yeah, that's what you want to hear from God. Hey, God, good morning. How's it going? Hi, Moses. Today is the day you're going to die. <laughs> oh, great. Who wants to hear that? I don't know, some days. The thing is, like, in, to God, God had appointed a day. For Moses, the Bible says that God has already appointed your days. God knows exactly how many days he's going to give you. He knew you from before you were born. He's known you every day. He knows the very last day that you get. Here he's saying, today, Moses, today's your last day. 
And I'm going to read to you. You can mark this down. This is Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Just, just listen. For you, and he's talking to God, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Not because I'm wonderful, but because the maker who made me is wonderful. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. And when I, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they, will, they are all written, the days fashioned for me. And when, they, when as yet, there were none of them. And what that says is, you knew me from the very beginning before I even was. In fact, the very number of my days have already been written in your book, God. God knows every day. And so he says to Moses, because I know, I can tell you right now, today is the day for you. Today is the day. So he says, call Joshua and, and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and prepared themselves, uh, presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us, because our Lord is not among us, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods." And there's Joshua going, uh, <laughs> hold on a minute. <laughs> I've waited for 40 years to be the leader of this people, and now it's my turn. And you're like, and here's a horrible, horrible plan for what's going to happen. They're going to go in, and they're going to be bad, and it's going to be, you know. Uh, and, and he's saying, and, and here you go, Joshua. Leave these people in. And maybe Joshua's like, could it be my day to die today too, Lord, please? <laughs> God says, no, Joshua, I have a plan for you and it's to lead these people in. And actually, they do do some amazing, really great things when they first go in. But as God says, he's already seen what will happen. Now, he says now in verse 19, therefore, write down this, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to your children of Israel and put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the for me against the children of Israel. And when I brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. He says, you know what? This is what's going to happen. They're going to get into the land. I'm going to overcome all of their enemies as I promised that I would do because God is a promise keeper and they're not going to need me anymore. And from that place, they're going to then forsake me and turn to other gods. And it's like he's saying, they're good when they need me, but when they don't need me, they're off onto something else. Is that you as well? Are you that person that's like, Lord, 
I'm really in a tough spot right now. I really could use some help. Or Lord, if you could deliver me from this place, oh, I will worship you and you're the greatest God and hallelujah. And God delivers you and everything's going good and smooth and your life is good. And you completely forget how you got there. And you've grown fat, it says. And you're like, it's all good. It's all good. I don't need God. Oh, wait a minute. It's getting tough again. It's getting tough. Let me pull out my... God, is God your genie in time of trouble only? God certainly is there in your time of trouble. But God, it says, there's a song that we sing that he is the God of the, the hills and the valleys. That means he's God when you're low, but he's God when you're high. He's to be exalted at all times. He says, you know what you're going to do? You're going to write a song, and that's going to be a witness or a reminder to them. And it says, then it shall be when many evils, in verse 21, and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness. It will remind them. For it will not be forgotten in the mouths of the descendants, for I know the inclination of the behavior today, even before I brought them to the land, which I swore to give them. Therefore, Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Moses, prince of Egypt, goat herder, leader of the people, prophet, songwriter. He wrote it in one day. Angie, one day. He wrote a song in one day. It was a hit, apparently. Now, it almost kind of seems funny to be like, that seems so weird that, that God would say, this will help you to remember what it is. When, especially, you know, when this will help you to remember what it is I'm telling you so that later on, if you're having trouble recalling, you could just sing this song, right? Does that seem silly or strange to any of you? Do you ever learn anything by song? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's, I mean, I'm, that's how I learned the ABCs is by song, you know? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and the letters of Romans, first and second. Just me, that was just me and my family. Did my mom make that up? We learn through song, don't we? Have you ever, have you ever learned something through song, a Bible verse or something? We learn through song, and so God is very clever. He says, if you teach this song to your kids, they'll never forget it. There are songs that probably your kids know that have taught them things that you would be surprised to know that they remember because they remember the song. Now, the really interesting thing, well, first of all, next week we're going to look at the song. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't rhyme. I don't know why it was such a hit, but uh, it's a Hebrew song, and it's an acrostic, which means that every verse of the song starts with a different letter of the Hebrew Bible. And so that was going to help the, the, the law. You know, I forgot what I just said, those words, but it was, it was set up to use a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet to um, start each verse so that they would know what verse was by the alphabet. It's really neat, isn't it? So in English, it doesn't seem that way. But if you were to read it in Hebrew and you were familiar with the Hebrew alphabet, you would say, oh, this, this kind of goes in order. That's really neat. We use acrostics to remember stuff. I used one at the very beginning of the sermon. Joy. What's joy? Jesus, others, you. How do you have joy? Put your focus on Jesus first, then others, and then get around to yourself. Here's another one. Faith. F 
A-I-T-H. Forsaking all others, I trust him. Faith. That's how we remember things. God says, write this, all of this into a song. Teach it to your children. They'll never forget it. In verse 23, it says, Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. And so it was when Moses had completed writing the words of the law in a book, and when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be as a witness against you. For I know, <laughs> for I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? You can't even serve the God that we worship while I'm with you. How are you going to do it when I'm dead? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes, the officers that I may speak these words in their hearing, and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And then Moses spoke in the hearing of, the of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. And so he taught them the song, but he wrote it down with the words that God said, and he gave it to those who bore the ark. That means the ones who carried the ark of the covenant. And he said, put this beside the ark. Now, maybe you're not familiar, or maybe you're a little bit familiar. Maybe you saw um, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, and you're like, oh yeah, I know all about the, the ark of the covenant. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was God's visual representation of himself among the people. It was extremely specific to God's plan. He gave them every single material and instruction on how to make it. And it was a box like this that was made out of wood that was covered with gold. And it had not a lid, but the top of it, which was called the mercy seat of God. And the mercy seat sat on top of the box. And on top of that box was two cherubim with angel wings that would point to each other and then an empty space on the top. An empty space. In fact, uh, I wrote this down. This is kind of a neat thing. The mercy seat, an empty space between two cherubim. Nothing to see, nothing to handle, just an empty space. Why didn't God have them create a statue of himself as a reminder and to fill up that empty space in the mercy seat. Because he knew that they would worship the image rather than him. And that is not what God wants. God doesn't want empty worship. God wants a relationship with you. You know, you, you can't see a relationship you can't hear a relationship. You can't handle a relationship. You can't handle a relationship. That's not what I mean. You can't touch a relationship. It's what takes place between two persons. We can really only know God in relationship. God gave them the ark as a visual representation of his presence among the people, and then he gave them this song as a reminder of how to worship him in relationship. 
Remember in verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 20, it says this, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he is calling you to enter into one today. Now, we're going to sing like one last worship song in a minute. The lyrics, I want you to pay special close attention to the lyrics as we sing. And it's an upbeat and kind of fun song. But his saying here is, we're, in this song that we're going to sing, it's like, um, come build your kingdom here. He is calling out to us to enter into relationship. And in return, we say, now come and build your kingdom here. Build your kingdom here, Lord. That's what we want. If, if you think, if you're sitting here going, well, I'm a good person. I have a lot of good works. I don't do bad things. I visit elderly people and I go to the soup kitchens and I do all these things. Those are good. Good for you. Good job. Do good things. Those aren't the things that get you into the promised land. They don't help you enter in. Only a relationship with Jesus can do that. If that's what you believe, it's a misrepresentation of God's plan. So we're going to stand up and we're going to sing this one last song after I pray. And after that song, if you want to pray about anything, come. I'm going to be right over here. You can come and pray with me. If you want to come down and say, you know what? God is calling me to enter into a relationship with him today. Then let's pray about that today. And you can leave here today a new creation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day today. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. I thank you how you use all uh, that is at your disposal to bring us into relationship, to remind us, to help us to understand just how much that you love us, Lord. And I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a relationship, that is trying to enter in through their own work, through following the law, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that that is not your plan, but that they need a Joshua. They need Jesus. We thank you, Lord. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Thank you.